0: So next time you take your trip to North Korea, because I know that you and Tiffany do this on the reg.
1: I try to get to North Korea every year in the springtime.
0: Every year. It Mm, is lovely in the spring. Yeah. Yeah. It really brings out the gray. (laughs) Um, So if you're there um, and you're in um, Pyongyang and you go to Kim Il-sung Square, you've been there many times. Kim Il-sung Square. That's a mouthful. It it is. It is. And you should have seen the locations around that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Holy cow. That was the easy one. That's why I picked it. Um, this is, I believe, as far as I know, the only geocache in North Korea um, really? that I could find. That you could yes. find, yes. That I could find. So, you have to go to this place, but GPSs are illegal. So Are you serious? Yeah, you just have to, like, I don't know, print off a map. Map quest it. Yeah, and look around, and, uh, and it says... Go to, it says it's a, it's a light post with a magnetic geocache on it. So, in this place, which is miles across, where there are thousands of light posts, go there and find the geocache. And there's a, there's a couple other things they said. If you can't find the geocache, take a selfie with a soldier. But he recommended... Asking permission. <laughs> Before you take a selfie with a random North Korean soldier. Hmm. That's good advice. Yeah. Sage advice. It is It is sage so, sage advice. What do the people get if they're able to come up with this picture? Either selfie or, or proof Correct. that you've been here and Correct. found that particular light post with this particular thing. Um, so what I have uh, is um most of the early sting albums that he did solo um before very, the police before the police Ooh, wow hard to find very gently dubbed onto um cassette tape well, that just one huge cassette you tape. should just geocache that and right you can there, have right. that if you if you can prove that you've been here so next time you go next time in the springtime next time you go in the springtime it's supposed to be lovely For whatever reason, when you started talking about a light post, I started
1: thinking about Mr.
0: Tumnus. Yeah, I kind of got an arty vibe, too. Yeah. I can't... I'm guessing that Mr. Tumnus does not live in North Korea, but... But the White Witch certainly does. (laughs) Okay, welcome to Geocaching Scripture. Uh, Here we are today. We're not in the blanket fort. We are not in the blanket fort. We're in the mine shaft. We're in the mine shaft, and and you will see pictures forthcoming of this makeshift studio. It is... Quite spacious. It is quite spacious. And, you know, the sound may not be perfect. There may be some blue jays cawing in the background. Or some um, mice scurrying around. But here we are, you know, and we just, we make it happen. The studio was not available. Um, The blanket fort is is a little not social distance. Well, especially when there's two people in it, you know. Exactly. It's cozy. So we are now in the mineshaft. We are now in the mineshaft pictures (laughs) forthcoming. Geocaching is this rarefied sport hobby of finding these little caches in places like North Korea and all kinds of exciting stuff. And it enhances a walk or a, a quest that you've already been on, and the treasure hunting is the point. Yeah, the the treasure I mean? is in the finding. No. The treasure...
1: How do you, yes, you said it the better? the treasure is in the finding. The right? treasure is in the finding.
0: I the think. treasure is in the finding. So geocaching is the way that... I've come to read scripture. Dan has come to read scripture as as we've gotten all the scripture training, et cetera, But to find these little treasures of language, cultural situation, history that um, really bring out the treasure hunting in the scripture that's already there. Mm-hmm. Welcome, welcome to geocaching scripture, the most serious Bible podcast in on the, the earth. cosmos, in the cosmos, in the billions and billions of stars. <laughs>
1: when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sing. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Today, we are going to be talking about fish. I sure hope so. And the question is what? It's about (laughs) terror. Our audience has been waiting with bated breath to talk about fish. Baited. The, the, the question is, and so maybe you're like me, but somewhere, maybe, maybe it was post-Awana, it was pre-high school, I began to ask myself the question, what on earth is Jesus doing with all of these fish all the time? Like, of all the miracles that you could do, why that one? Like, if, if you're, if Jesus is a super, uh, if, yeah, if Jesus has superpowers... Why that superpower?
0: Why fish? Why if fish? if you don't like fish?
1: Yeah, so yes. like you have yeah. the guy with like laser beams out of his eyes or the guy who can fly, the guy nope. who has like knives coming out of his knuckles, <laughs> and then you have like the guy who like, I got fish, guys. This <laughs> is what I can do. Does anybody need any fish multiplied? Because <laughs> no. I'm your guy. <laughs> and it just, it just seems so random. And not only that, as, I, as I've been studying these passages... I began to also look at Peter's response to the fish. And it's almost as if he knows something that we don't know. And so, after Jesus produces these fish, I mean you just think he'd say like, "Oh, great. Like this is my week's work is done." Instead, he sees in Jesus something that leads him to say, "I'm a sinful man, depart from me, O Lord." Like note note that term, O Lord. Like he he sees Jesus now as somehow his master. Like, mm. how, how does Peter see the multiplying of the fish and then land at this conclusion that Jesus is now somehow his Lord? And you can read the Bible a hundred times, front to back, back to front, asking that question, and you're never going to find an answer to it. And the reason is because the answer actually isn't in the Bible. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. The plot thickens. Indeed. So, wh- where do we get insight to ask some of the questions that we need to ask? Why is Jesus so content to multiply fish? And why, when people see it, do they call Jesus Lord? The only place we can begin to find answers is in a type of literature that some people have called. Intertestamental literature.
0: Intertestamental, Inter-testamental literature. literature. But, where is it? Dan it's <laughs> between the testaments. Oh, that's like what's in a Roman Coke? Roman Coke. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: uh, if you thought we were scripted, trust me, we are not scripted. We
0: are not. No way. Because Dan did not know it was in a Roman Coke. <laughs> because I was raised a good pastor's kid. No, I'm
1: just joking. Um anyway. So, what is intertestamental literature? And so, in the space between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, is a space of, let's say, four hundred and fifty years. Maybe, yeah, four hundred and fifty. Yeah, give or give, give or, or take. give or
0: take. Ballpark figure.
1: There you go. There yeah, you I go. And so, the, the 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 question we need to ask. To understand why Jews and Greeks, especially Jews, are writing lots and lots of literature between the Testaments, uh, we we have to put ourselves in the mindset of a Jew. And so between, let's say, 450 B.C. and 30 A.D., let's say, for instance, Israel had been taken over by not one, not two, but three different empires. So it had been taken over by Greece, that's Alexander the Great. It had been, t- been taken over by Syria. That's, remember uh, Antiochus Epiphanes? Anyway, he's an important guy to remember. I do. And on top of that, it had been taken over by Rome. So Jews who obviously believe in the goodness of God, obviously believe in their own election as God's people, are wrestling with this issue. Not only has Assyria and Babylon come and kicked our butts, followed by Persia, now we have three more empires who have come in and dominated us. And so what we see in this intertestamental period or what other people would call Second Temple Judaism in this period, what you see is just like this flourishing of literature as Jews try to cope Mm -hmm. with the questions of who is God and who is Israel, given the fact that Israel seems to be so. Easy to oppress. Like, What is God up to in the world and how is Israel the elect people of God given the current situation? That's the impetus yeah. driving most of the intertestamental literature. We're
0: not feeling very special right now. Not sorry. At all. Yeah. And We're so not there, feeling great. And so, yeah. so when,
1: it com- when it comes to feeling fishy, there's, uh, a, a, there's two books or three books, but one book in specific that we really need to pay attention to, and that's the book of two, Baruch.
0: Was reading it this morning. Correct, as you do That's in your devotional yes. times. Tuber yeah. yeah.
1: and so Tubaruk was written in the first century A.D. Uh, it was it's it's what's called a pseudopigraphal book.
0: Ah, yes. As as so it's 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 that it's, is Greek for fake pigraphal. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, it's it's written by an author using a pseudonym. And so whoever wrote it, it was not Baruch. So Baruch was the scribe of Jeremiah who lived in the 7th century B.C. Yeah, had been dead for correct, a long time. Correct, he's been time. dead for 800 yes. years. There's no way he wrote it. And so someone takes on the persona of Baruch and then begins to think about what God is up to in the world. And so I just want you to imagine for a second, you're a oppressed Jew living in the 1st century A.D., you're trying to understand what God is up to. Recording a podcast in the okay. garage. I get that. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, the author is struggling with this reality of like I can't get my next meal. My farms are being pillaged by Roman soldiers, so they they continue to oppress my people. Like how does a Jew begin to conceive of what God is up to in the world, given the fact that he's poor, he has no food, he's destitute. Mm-hmm. What will the Messiah look like for a Jew like that? And this is what 2 Baruch says in chapter 29. He says this, And it will happen that when all that which should come to pass in these parts has been accomplished, the Anointed One, or the Messiah, will begin to be revealed. And Behemoth will be re- And Behemoth will reveal itself from its place, and Leviathan will come from the sea, the two great monsters which I created on the fifth day of creation which I have kept until that time. And here's the catcher. And they will be nourishment for all who are left. And so if you read all of Baruch, you realize that when the Messiah comes, there are three types of miracles especially that happen. The sea gives up up its life for food. Suddenly manna from heaven or bread becomes abundant everywhere. And grapes begin to produce vast amounts of wine. And if you begin to ask yourself, what are are the types of food miracles that Jesus loved to do? We Mm. have fish, we have bread, and we have wine. So clearly in these miracles, Jesus is picking up on some sort of religious, cultural, or social expectation of what the Messiah would look like. And it just makes sense, given the fact that most of intertestamental literature was written by poor, starving Jews who just wanted to see their God be faithful to them. Mm. And so anyway, so Baruch is is like not a predictive prophecy. So it's not God's word for us, and we shouldn't think it is. Mm -hmm. However, just like culture can be helpful for understanding the Bible, just like language can be helpful for understanding the Bible, so too is the surrounding literature around the New Testament really helpful for understanding what
0: Jesus is up to. And Jesus was catching on to um, cues that would have been in the culture at the time. Um, And knowing that culture can help give dimension to what you're reading. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And so let's begin to ask
1: the question. So these are the types of things that people expected to happen when the Messiah shows up. And so wouldn't it make sense now, or wouldn't it make more sense now when... Peter sees this happening, right? The, the, the sea is giving up its life for the sustenance of the world. This is exactly what Tubaruk predicted, or this is what Tubaruk expected. It's probably a better way to think of it. Mm. No, Peter sees this. He sees this cultural expectation or this social expectation uh, revealed or fulfilled in Jesus. And in so doing, he realizes, oh my goodness, this, is, this, this must be the Messiah. And therefore, he gives him the title Lord. In my mind, that's the only thing that helps us connect the gap between the multiplying of the fish and this bizarre reaction by Peter that he would now suddenly see that and call Jesus Lord. Mm. Like you, you need to be able to understand the cultural expectation around the New Testament to be able to fully understand why Peter would do something so like that. So the sea
0: that. is giving up its life, giving up abundant amounts of Correct. bounty, yeah. and he thinks that's what that's what baruch, or no, baruch, no, baruch, see, baruch
1: I, I don't I don't I don't think he's going to say like oh that's what baruch predicted okay. what i think baruch is reflecting is a a a hopeful expectation so you see this also in the book of first enoch especially chapters 60 61 and 62 uh, but like what what baruch and enoch are riffing off of isn't sort of some sort of like predictive prophecy where like they're trying to somehow like track the arrival of the Messiah. Now, that's not what they're reflecting. What hmm. they're reflecting is the, a, a Jewish eschatological or end time hope. of of what might happen when the Messiah shows up. Again, starving farmers who have been oppressed for decades, like their their fathers and grandfathers have been oppressed by all these different empires. And they they begin to dream, like, what what would it look like when God's faithfulness shows up and the Messiah finally reveals himself? There's an abundance of food. Mm -hmm. And that's what Israel had been longing for. And I think that's precisely the reason why Peter... Calls Jesus Lord when he sees that.
0: Now, can you um, just a brief aside on what the Leviathan and what the Behemoth are?
1: Yeah, or- so those are two uh, great sea monsters, you could say, uh, that actually are are, are are talked about in the original creation story in Genesis one. Uh, you, God God creates the Tanin uh, or like the, the great sea monsters is what mm-hmm. we might translate it as, or mm-hmm. it was it was known as like uh, Jewish interpreters. N- believe that to be like Leviathan or the great sea monster. And so what that is representative of is all life in the sea. And so when Baruch begins to riff off that saying, Leviathan will be given up as food for those who are left. Mm -hmm. What he's essentially saying is that the sea by the power of God is going to manifest itself in such an abundance that people can just eat. just, Just imagine just being able to eat. Like the... We just we just think we can go to a grocery store and get food. Yeah, that like that didn't exist back then. Right, like you had you had to grow it, you had to catch it, you had to you had to, yeah, you you either had to grow it or catch it. Like that's that's basically how you get how that's how yeah. you get your food. Uh, and and on top of that, Rome is levying huge amounts of taxes. The Roman army is coming through and eating up most of your crops. You have very little left to live on. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, most historians would say that somewhere in the ballpark of forty percent of your income. Or it, your let's say your grain was taken just as tribute to Rome, like think, and that, that's not on top of the ties that were due do the temple, or the mm-hmm. ties that were due for the festivals, and so there's mm-hmm. this huge burden placed on oppressed first century Jews mm-hmm. who would just want their God to be faithful to them in the most simple way, which is a full oh, belly, right? You know,
0: and and then the Leviathan would have been thought of as very mysterious and scary. I imagine, yeah, yeah, yeah. with their with their understanding of of ocean and sea and water. And chaos.
1: And-
0: yeah, and so so in, in some ways that's God taming the great monsters of
1: the world in order to provide for his people. And so you, you could almost begin to map that onto God's relationship with Rome. When, when is God going to tame the great beast that is Rome in mm-hmm. order to provide for his people? And so all those connections could plausibly be running through the mind of a first century Jew when they saw Jesus and this great catch of fish. and Twice. Twice, twice, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's not just that. I mean, he he has two times where he multiplies bread. And so Baruch talks about the the storehouses of heaven being opened and manna coming down to God's people to feed. Uh, Baruch talks about grapes just being grown in abundance, where a single vine of uh, yeah a single vine of grapes can produce a core of wine. And I don't know what a core of wine, but I think it's an awful lot.
0: It's an awful awful lot. lot.
1: And And how much wine does Jesus produce in John two at the wedding in Cana? Like nine hundred and some bottles of it. Like it's it's crazy. Yes. And so this is this is this is how a first century Jew would have seen most of these food miracles. This is Mm. this is what happens when God's Messiah is revealed, which is why consistently uh, there are grandiose statements about Jesus's identity after these things. And so after the great catch of fish, you have Peter calling Jesus Lord. But after the multiplying of the loaves in in Matthew and in Luke, you have Peter now doing the Messianic confession. Mm -hmm. He sees what Jesus did with the loaves and he's like, oh my goodness. This, mu- this must be the Messiah, and so I, I think there's mm. there's a reason why Luke and Matthew both position the the Petrine confession of Jesus's messiahship right after uh, the great multiplying of loaves and fish. It just makes sense. And again, mm. understanding this doesn't uh, doesn't change the way we read the gospel. You don't need, you don't need to know these things in order to uh, like get to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. But it, it for the for those who are trying to. For those who have been reading the Bible for an awfully long time, these miracles can seem old hat sometimes. And you just read through them and you just assume, yeah, 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 Jesus did fish. No wait. Like there's there's more going on here. And I, I think for us as contemporary Christians, like this is fruitful. Yeah, this is fruitful space for us to begin to think about our relationship with food and how people think about the church and food. And so like, just uh, there are a few questions that are running through my mind right now. And so like, what are ways where Christians can uniquely provide food for the hungry and consume food with the hungry in a way that proclaims Jesus to be the Messiah in the very same way that Peter saw Jesus to be the Messiah hmm. in relation to food miracles? Mm-hmm. Or even more importantly, I think, Josh, what would it look like for people to eat with Christians? Let's say, let's say we were to host a meal in the shack. Right in the here. Shack. Right and here. we are Mine to invite shack. people yeah. in. Like, what, what would it look like for our relationship with food and our relationship with hospitality to so be imbued and embodied of the things of Jesus that people can't help but to sit and to eat and to enjoy the food and to enjoy the company and after proclaim, my goodness, like Jesus must be with us. This them. is the real deal. This is the real what is deal. The
0: discipline of fast? What does the discipline of feasting look like? oh ex- exactly yeah, I mean, like it's
1: not just fasting it's also feasting
0: like us on facetunes like us on facepod <laughs> yes and the may 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 the behemoth ever come to the surface in your favor <laughs> i don't know what like what kind of strange hebrew blessing there would be and and listeners who are listening that's, that's the
1: one yeah all that all that
0: fun stuff all that uh, anyway like us on facetunes thanks for listening and pax yeah. humana cheers